0: I'm just trying to find my place. We're in Matthew chapter seven, which was uh, just read for us by uh, Karis and and Reina. Well, after last week's sermon, I um, sad to report that I lost my endorsement deal with a particular insurance company. Um, those of you who heard the message may recall that I made reference to, um, you know, being in good hands and. Uh, Anyways, that that fell through. So I pursued another one this week, and it was with Holiday Inn Express. And, um, well, actually, I'm not. But a couple of years ago, uh, Holiday Inn Express had a great advertising campaign. And there are several versions of this uh, campaign. These commercials are available on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. Um, I tell you, sermon prep is completely different these days. You just kind of get caught sometimes into the, the black hole of looking at uh, one thing after another and uh, learning some things. Anyways, each commercial had someone smart doing something spectacular. In one case, it's a surgeon. In another case, it's, a, it's an engineer. Another one, it, an engineer. It's another one is a, a professor who solves a complex math problem. You know, all of these. Smart people step in and save the day. But the punchline is that they really aren't what they appear to be. But, and here's the punchline, they did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, which of course doesn't make them smarter, they just feel smarter for having stayed there. Because, of course, everyone knows that staying at a Holiday Inn Express is a smart, wise choice. I have to tell you about this one. One is uh, with a surgeon, and he's just finished a surgery, and he takes off his mask and his glasses, and a nurse looks at him and kind of in astonishment says, you're not Dr. Stewart? And he just matter-of-factly kind of says, no. And he walks away and like kind of drags some stuff off the operating table with him. Then he turns around and says, of course, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. The point being... That he wasn't a surgeon, but he thinks he made a smart choice by staying at a Holiday Inn Express. Jesus, in the closing verses of this incredible Sermon on the Mount, addresses those who essentially are pretending to be someone who they're not. And he issues another warning while making it clear that his followers have a choice to make. And the smart, wise choice is to follow him and his teachings wholeheartedly. The wise choice, in fact, is to fully commit ourselves to living the life and enjoying this life now, here, in this context, in our world, knowing that our future is secure as well. And today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and the series of studies we've called Living the Life. I don't know if you keep track of these things. You might be thinking, it's been a long time. Well, 19 messages, including today's. In fact, it's really 28 messages if you include the first nine that we did on the Beatitudes, which is the first section of the Sermon on the Mount. We did those kind of as a standalone series last spring. And then we decided in the fall that we would continue on with the Sermon on the Mount, and so we picked it up at that time. And as I said last week, Jesus ends this sermon in an incredible way, really. Um, It's fascinating because there's no pep talk, no kind of touching story. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. And it's pretty sober, in fact. But before we look at the verses, well, all of the verses that we read this morning or had read for us, I want you to notice something just about the response of the crowd. You see, it's understood that Jesus went up on this mountainside and his disciples followed him, those closest to him. But then, as the crowds heard that he was there, the crowds also gathered around and sort of another circle around the disciples who were sitting at the feet of Jesus as he's teaching. Chapter uh, 5, verse 1, we find that he goes up on the mountainside. and chapter 8, verse 1, he comes back down on the mountainside. So everything that takes, in, in, takes place between um, Matthew chapter 5 and 8, 1 is the Sermon on the Mount. But at the end of Matthew 7, we read that when Jesus had finished saying these things, in other words, when he had finished his sermons, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, they said, and not as their teachers of the law. I mean, there was just a different authority about his teaching. Why? Because he was God. All the other rabbis, they needed to depend on quoting other famous rabbis to kind of give their voice some authority. But Jesus didn't need to do that. He had the authoritative word of God because he was God. And the people in the crowd, they're amazed and they're astonished because he didn't teach like any of the other rabbis. But the question is, did their response, did their amazement, their, their astonishment really result then in any noticeable action or response on their part? Every once in a while, I'll have somebody say, hey, great message, Pastor Norb. Just not very often, so don't, don't feel sorry for me or anything like that. I get it. Um, but when they do, um, I, I usually kind of just say, well, thanks. Um, but in my heart, honestly, I'm thinking, so what are you going to do about it? What difference does this message actually make? And that's a question that Jesus is asking here. It's like he turns to his father, he's looking at them and saying, you know what, it's all, it's all great that you are totally amazed, not really what I was going for, but whatever. What, what are you going to do with my words? And so I just laid this out very simply this morning by even Jesus, even though he preaches this great message, right? There's no cute story. There's not even alliteration. There's just this great teaching. And it starts with an introduction. And it's interesting, you know, this, this passage uh, may be quite familiar to us. I mean, if you've grown up in the church, um, you might even remember the Sunday school song. Of course, the kid's spotlight this morning was, was all about it. And there's a certain way that we have a way of looking at this teaching that has become very familiar to us. It's kind of cute. It's kind of fun. Some of you maybe even remember singing a, a song about this if you did that in Sunday school. Um, now, I, I learned it in German, of all things. Like, I don't, I'm not going to sing it for you, but but there's actions, right? And all fun kids songs have actions, right? Like the wise man built, you know, his house on the rock, you know, those, all these actions. And then the rains came down, and the floods came up, and we, we sing it with a smile on our face, and it's a great song. But there's really a sober warning here, and a bit of a wake-up call to those who are listening. And he says in verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And so whenever we see a sentence or a verse start with therefore, you've heard this many times before, you've got to ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? And really what Jesus is saying and the writer's recording here is that it, it's connecting what he's about to say with what he has just said. And um, in this case, it's really the entire Sermon on the Mount as he's wrapping it up. Okay, so therefore, in light of everything that I've taught you that for us today is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 all the way through to the end of chapter 7, that's what I'm referring to. And he, in fact, he makes it clear, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words, he's referring now to the entire Sermon on the Mount, and he hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. This word translated practice is the, from the Greek word poieo, which means does or acts on, Bears follows, obeys, it can be translated in all those different ways. And in the Sermon on the Mount, that particular Greek word is used 22 times, and even here in these concluding verses, beginning back in verse 15 already, it's used 10 times. There's something about poieo, about practice, about doing. And Jesus once again drives home the truth That as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we must walk the talk. And we're reminded here that it's not enough just to hear these teachings. That at the end of the day or at the end of the sermon, we have to do something about it. It it reminds me of what James uh, wrote in, in his letter. James chapter 1 verse 22. Listen to these words. He says, Uh, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to the word because you can deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. It's black and white, doesn't get any clearer." Anyone who listens to the word, he says, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be pleased, or they will be blessed, sorry, in what they do. Maybe they'll be pleased as well, but they'll certainly be blessed by doing what they've heard. And so here in these final verses, Jesus calls on us, to make a choice. Simply put, will we or won't we obey him? Will we or won't we obey his teaching? And how we answer that question has significant consequences. And so it's important that we understand this. So let's take a little closer look at what he, what he says here. And this is what I'm just going to call the illustration, or he basically tells a parable, a familiar story. And Jesus tells these two stories side by side, one after the other. And the key to discovering the meaning of a parable is to look at the two stories and to look at what they have in common and then to look at what is different or unique between them. And in verse 24, we read, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like, he says, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And just two verses later, the second half, verse 26, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so he's comparing these two different ways of living. And he says in, in, in this, in, from these verses, we can learn a number of things. One is that there are two builders. And that's the distinction. There's a wise builder and there's a foolish builder. The wise builder, the, the, the Greek word there is phronimos, which means prudent or wise. Somebody who's understanding, has some intelligence, is thoughtful, is smart. The foolish builder, on the other hand, is the Greek word moros. Sound familiar? It's the root word for our English word moron. Someone who's foolish or stupid, a fool or unintelligent. And this contrast between wise and foolish was familiar to the people. This was common in wisdom literature that that there was this distinction made that there are those who are wise and do what God says and that there are foolish people who ignore what God says. And it really refers to how people think about living. And in this context here, this idea of building a home is really a metaphor for life because your house symbolized really your life as a whole. In addition to sleeping and waking and eating there, they ran their businesses from there. They worked from home. Sound familiar? That's kind of like us right now. Like, we feel like our lives, for those of us who have to work at home, we we feel like our lives consist of everything that takes place in our homes. And the point that Jesus is making is that, in one way or another, we are all builders. We are all building a life. And we all have the opportunity to live life. But the choice that we all have is how we will build that life. Do we make wise choices or do we make foolish ones? And so Jesus says there's two builders and there's only one storm. And both builders, both the wise and the foolish, they face the same storm. Verse 25 and verse 27 are identical. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. It's a great easy word picture, right? The rain comes down, it falls from heaven. And as it's falling, if it doesn't have a way of of quickly being diverted and into rivers and streams, it says that the streams rose... Implying what? That there is a flood that was happening and that in this context that also the winds beat against the house. I'm thinking hurricanes. I'm thinking some storm sometimes that we even see in Edmonton, but we're not really on a floodplain as it is, so we may not recognize that in in the same way. But the point that Jesus is making is, is there's a wise and foolish builder And they both experience the same storm. And this storm that they face is a moment of truth. Because up until then, you can't really tell the difference between those who are building their lives by practicing Jesus' teaching and then those that don't. On on the surface, they, they both just look like normal homes, normal lives. It's not a whole lot of difference. And again, Jesus is talking in language that was so familiar to his hearers because the area um, around Galilee and the people that live there, they could easily picture what Jesus was painting. Uh, This area was familiar to them. It's it's typically dry and arid. But when the rains come, there can be these flash floods. And the floodwaters would come quickly and swiftly. And as you know, those can be extremely dangerous as flash floods tend to be. If you're ever driving down the white mud in a torrential rainstorm, you know that there's a couple of underpasses that you need to be careful of, because if the rain comes hard and fast, it immediately floods. And so when you drive down there, you actually see, like, measuring sticks to show you how deep the water is, unless you think that you can get through there, and you can't, because the water is too deep. Some of you who've been in Alberta may remember the floods of 2013, particularly southern Alberta... Um, was, was was hit. But I think anybody who's traveled even to places like Canmore, most people have been in that area to picture this. But, uh, y- you know, the, it was a perfect storm. There was a snowpack. It got incredibly warm all at once and then rain on top of the snow. It melted the snowpack and all of a sudden, where does the water go? It's just coming rushing down the mountains. It's filling all the low spots. It's hitting the, the creeks and it's washing out, out, out bridges. It's washing out culverts. It's taking backyard. In some cases, with them, and all of a sudden, what you see exposed is just like the foundations of some of these these houses. And so, this is a picture I think that we can all kind of wrap our minds around. And as I studied this and I was reading different commentators and scholars, it was interesting to note how um, there really wasn't an agreement um, over the nature of the storm. Like, what does this storm actually represent? And there are those that basically say, well, the storm that is being represented here, in fact, is final judgment. Um, But others would say, well, it's actually broader than that. It can be kind of the the storms of life. And personally, I think it's helpful to consider both because both are legitimate storms. When it comes to this, this thought of this storm representing final judgment, we should be prepared for the final judgment because that is the ultimate storm. And it's not a matter of if this is going to happen, but when it will happen. And like a flash flood, it could come quickly and suddenly, and we need to be prepared. And so this flood of the final judgment will come. Jesus has already said, and we looked at these verses last week, on that day, referring to this day of judgment about those who have said all the right things and even done all the right things, but they didn't do the will of the Father. They didn't do His teaching. And you remember those sobering words from last week, Jesus looking at them and saying, away from me, I I never knew you. So there's a harsh reality here, a sober reality. And throughout these closing verses, Jesus has made it clear that there's not one but two destinations. There's a narrow gate that leads to a narrow way That leads to life. And there is a broad way that you can choose to go. Through a broad gate. And it leads to death and destruction. And so there is this ultimate final storm. That could come quickly. Without us even knowing that it's coming. And then there's the storms of life. In the same way that flood waters wash away. Dirt and sand and rock around basements in some places, depending on where these homes are built, these storms of life, they expose us. They reveal where we have put our trust. And friends, when we think of living life in the last year, in the reality of COVID, you know, we've heard it all said, like we're all facing the same storm or we're all in the same boat. And we've, we're all in this together. We've heard all of these kind of things. And yes, it is a common experience for all of us. But what has it revealed? Does it reveal to us where, where we have placed our trust, where we've put our confidence? Has it revealed to us what priorities we have elevated over others? The areas of our lives that we've neglected? What has it revealed for you? But completely apart from COVID, although these things are related, I mean, there's, there's the sickness, there's, there's diagnosis of cancer, there's death, there's, there's unemployment, there's economic realities, and everybody does have different experiences with those kind of storms in our lives. And the fact is, we will all face storms. And these storms will shake our foundations. They can shake us to the very core of who we are. But what those storms do is reveal to us who and what our life is built on. And in the story that Jesus tells here, in the parable that he uses, that is the difference. So there's two builders there's one storm and there are two foundations right verse at the end of verse 24 and the verse 26 the difference is, is that one the wise one built his house on the rock and the foolish one built his house on sand and so the rock is jesus himself the rock is jesus and his teachings and the sand is the opposite of what jesus teaches And we can build our lives on all sorts of things, looking for purpose and meaning. We we, we desire to live the good life. We we, we want to retire early. We we want to be able to experience some freedom in our lives and travel, do whatever we want. But underlying that are some of those same things that that we we can pursue, like consumerism and materialism and pleasure, the pursuit of happiness. And so, how do we make the wise choice? Now, notice here that both of these builders who face the same storm, they both hear the words of Jesus, but the difference is in how they respond. And the difference is that the wise builder builds on the rock by hearing the words of Jesus and then actually putting them into practice. He does something about it. They live out the reality of these teachings in real life, every day. It's not just something that we do on Sundays, but it becomes core to who we are. And the foolish builder builds on the sand, which Jesus says means that they hear the words of Jesus. So they also hear these same teachings, but they choose not to put them into practice. And with all due respect, what Jesus is saying, that's just a dumb thing to do. It's stupid. It's foolish. Why? Because the flood will come And it will reveal the foundation of our lives. And so these two foundations have two results. There's a a different outcome as a result of this. And on the rock, the storm came, but the house did not fall, right? We read it. Verse 25b, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then there was those that built on the sand, and that same storm came. And the house, it says, fell with a great crash some translation says and the house collapsed collapsed under the weight of the storm friends in my role and maybe even in your own life you've seen this way too often people who commit their lives to pursuing everything it seems other than a relationship with jesus and then trouble comes, and they seems like their lives fall apart. They just implode, they self-destruct. And so the question to ask of those who hear the teaching of Jesus simply this, and we are all hearing his teaching today is, do they, or do they not? put into practice what they hear. And the warning here is to those who pretend to be someone they are not. That's not smart. That's not a wise choice. And so these verses serve as a wake-up call to us, a sober warning to those who perhaps have become a little apathetic, to those who have wandered. that the key to living the life is that's been our focus this entire series. Living this life that leads to life, the full life here and now, an eternal life in the future, is simply putting into practice the teaching of Jesus. That's the difference. It's a pretty clear choice, isn't it? It's black and white. And so each of us are compelled this morning, I think, To simply examine our own lives. What are we building our lives upon? What is the purpose of our lives? What is it that we're actually pursuing? We we, we sing a song at TCC quite often, I think. We haven't sung it for a while, but it's, or maybe we have. I will build my life. And I always thought that this song would be kind of a great theme song for us because it really, in many ways, echoes our mission statement at TCC, which is to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. And in the song, we acknowledge that Jesus is worthy of all of our praise. And then the chorus goes, Holy, there is no one like you. Where we declare our worship and our adoration of the one true God. In fact, the next line says, There is no one besides you. And when we sing that, we're declaring a commitment that there is nothing else that we will put before our relationship with Jesus. And then then there's a prayer. Open up my eyes in wonder. Why? Because we want to know Jesus. We want to know him intimately. And so it goes on and says, and show me who you are and fill me that I that I know you deeply and I'm walk, walking with you with your heart. Fill me with your heart, Jesus, and, and lead me. And lead me in your love to those around me. What? That we then go and share Jesus' love with the people that we come in contact with. That's pretty straightforward, that if we can commit our lives to those things, to knowing Jesus intimately, to walking with Jesus consistently every day, and walking with Jesus not on our own, but in the company of other people, knowing that community and fellowship in our Christian lives is so crucial. And then as we go about our everyday lives, we have opportunity to share the love and the truth of Jesus with people. You see, living the life was and is about becoming like Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is a description of a way of life. The the way of Jesus. uh, Jesus throughout uh, the main body of the teaching, remember the phrase that we saw over and over, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so teaching here is is not just for information, but it's for transformation. And that as we are countering Jesus' teaching, the way that we think and act and the way that we live is changed. And so if we're putting the teachings of Jesus into practice, it's so crucial. And we just spent the better part of five of the last six months doing a deep dive into those teachings. What did we learn? And then how would we apply this teaching today to what we have learned? Because all of those who have heard these words of mine and put them into practice. So let's quickly review some things. If you go back in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles open, you can pick it up um, partway through chapter 5. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. In other words, uh, and he says, no, 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 it's not even that. You, You can't be angry with somebody. You can't call people names because when you call people names, it reveals the contempt in your heart. And so what you need to do, the Jesus way, is to go and be reconciled. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You know, you can't let lust and unfaithfulness just take over your heart. And so my way is that you would go and remove the cause of the temptation that you're faced. If you're thinking about divorce and recognizing the the issues of unfaithfulness in there, before you do that, you should consider the opportunity to go and be reconciled. Don't swear falsely, I say to you. In other words, we can't live dishonestly. There has to be integrity in our lives, and we need to practice that. That is the way of Jesus. And you can do that at work when you think about the hours you put in or the way that you do that. It's important. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Vengeance and retaliation, right? We turn the other cheek. We give our tunic and our cloak. We go the second mile. That is the way of Jesus. We love friends, we hate enemies is kind of the way we've often heard it said. But Jesus comes and says, listen, if you love those who love you, what more is that than the Gentiles do? You're no different. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That is the way of Jesus. That is his teaching." And when you give, you, 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 you can't you know, pull out your trumpet and blow it so that everybody hears and sees what you're doing. No, 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 don't, don't do that. The way of Jesus is to give in secret. To just faithfully and consistently and generously give. And when you pray, again, don't, don't make a big show of it. Just go into your private prayer closet and pray there. And your reward is intimacy with Jesus. And when you pray, don't just go on babbling like, like the Gentiles do. No, no, no. Don't, don't think that the more you talk, the more words you use, that somehow you're going to be heard. He says, no, no, no. Just pray like this. This is the way of Jesus. And when you fast, don't, don't appear gloomy to others, but dress with joy. And your Father in heaven, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Listen, friends. This is the way of Jesus. Do not pile up treasures on earth. Why? Because it's, 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 they're unsustainable. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves enter and steal. Instead, have an eternal focus. Pile up treasures in heaven. Invest in spiritual things. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Serving God and wealth, worrying about food and clothes, that's, that's the wrong way. The, the way of Jesus is to seek first God's reign and God's righteousness. Do not judge, he says, lest you be judged. By the measure with which you judge, you'll be judged. First, take the log out of your own eye. That's how we have to live because that's the way of Jesus. Do not give holy things to dogs nor pearls to pigs. They will just trample them and tear you to pieces. But instead, give your trust to the Father in prayer. Friends, I don't know if it struck you at all, but those are challenging practices. And when you, you know, we broke them down, we looked at each one of those on its own, but if you take them as a whole, it's completely overwhelming. We think, how do we ever do that? It doesn't just, it doesn't just happen, right? We didn't just hear a message, do not worry, and say, okay, good, I finally got, I'm just going to be done with that. Doesn't happen that way. Oh, don't lost all that. <laughs> That's easy. As if. What we're talking about here is giving a lifetime of living this out. It's a lifetime of practice. And as we journey with Jesus, we recognize that God does his part in forming and shaping us, and we, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, do our part. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he says, work out your salvation. So pay attention to it. Use these practices. Use these teachings in how to form and shape your life. But know that God is at work in you. And His teachings and our practice of them requires us to acknowledge our need of Him. Because we look at this and we think, man, we stumble and won't fall. I put it in the context last week. We take three steps forward and two steps back or two ste- you know, three steps forward, one back. And, you know, it, it, that's just part of how we live this out. And the fact is we never will live this life purposely, perfectly. And that's why Jesus so beautifully started the whole Sermon on the Mount by reminding us that it is those who are poor in spirit who are blessed those who can just come before Jesus and say I can't do this on my own I need to depend on you Jesus that's where the blessing is that that when we sin when we mourn over our sin then those are the ones who are blessed Jesus says those who are meek and merciful those who hunger and thirst after righteousness those who are pure in heart those are the ones that are blessed and so, friends, simply put, we need Jesus to help us live the life that he lays out for us in his word. And we need Jesus to help us live out all of what we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount. Earlier, we, we sang the song Cornerstone, which is kind of a, a newer version of an older hymn called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And and the chorus is a declaration that said, on Christ the solid rock I stand. That's it, on Christ, on Jesus. Because everything else is sinking sand. And the verse, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That is a description of God's grace in our lives. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Listen, in every high and stormy gale, when those storms come, when trouble comes, my anchor holds. It's grace in times of trouble. And verse 4 in the, in the hymn says, And he shall come with trumpet sound. That's how the Bible says that that final day is going to be acknowledged. Oh, may I then in him be found. In him, my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. It's the ultimate realization of that day. Can we stand faultless before the throne? Yes, we can. Because we say yes to Jesus. Full stop. And on that day, we don't need to list our accomplishments or how we live the life or anything like that. We can simply say, I put my trust wholeheartedly in Jesus to save. And then to demonstrate that I've understood the commitment to Jesus that I've made. I have made daily the wise choice of wholeheartedly following him and his teachings. And when I failed and messed up, I turned around, I, re- I repented of that, and I went straight back to Jesus. And even when I faced storms in life, I wasn't rattled, I wasn't shaken, I knew that I was loved, I was cared for, I was secure. I didn't need to fear death because I believed Jesus when he said, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Friends, the invitation to us, the challenge to us, is will we live the life that we see Jesus describing for us? It is as the Apostle Paul said of himself in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Is that the, the clear stated purpose of your life? I am living for Jesus. But he ends it, and to die is gain. Crazy. But why? Because he knew upon whom He stood. He knew that he built his life on this firm foundation. Friends, we have a lifetime to learn this. But don't put off the decision for a lifetime. So the choice before all of us is this. Do we make the wise choice to, first of all, put our trust only in Jesus? full stop, for salvation, to know that we are saved by His grace alone, through faith in Him. But the evidence that we have understood that and made that commitment is that we would put into practice the teachings of Jesus. And we're going to close with a song that I think is very fitting because it is a declaration of trust in Jesus alone. A reminder that Christ truly is enough. And I can just at this time, just as I wrap up, worship team, you come and be ready to to lead us into this song. But Christ truly is enough. We have to declare that today. But because he is enough, we decide to follow him and make this wise choice. And so what choice will you make today? Will you make the choice of the wise to enter the narrow gate and follow the narrow way and live a life of obedience where we live out the teachings of Jesus, which ultimately leads to life, full and abundant life now and eternal life. Or do you make the choice of the foolish one who goes the easy route, takes the broad gate and goes through, lives on the broad way and just does their own thing? And Jesus makes it very clear that that way of living ultimately leads to death and destruction. Friends, honestly, I want to ask you to declare your response this morning. And if you know that Christ is enough, that he's the only one, but you've never said yes to Jesus, whether you're at home watching this and by yourself or with your family or whatever, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you just to stand, to say, I am deciding to follow Jesus. And if you have made that decision, I equally ask you to stand to say, yes, I've done that. And yes, I am committing myself to not only being a hearer of the word, but being the one who puts into practice, who does what Jesus asked us to do. I invite you to stand. Father, I pray that as we declare our response to your word today. That you would move in our hearts a commitment. Perhaps for the very first time we have said yes to Jesus. And we have stood declaring that Christ is enough. He is enough to save. But Father, for many, they're making a declaration this morning saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I want to live for you. I'm going to live this life and it's not about me trying harder tomorrow, but it's about trusting more. Coming under your teaching, practicing practices that will help form and shape me spiritually. Getting together with friends who also desire the same thing for their lives and will encourage each other and build one another up. Help one another on this way. And so we come to know you, Jesus. And we walk with you, Jesus, in the company of others. And we look for ways every day where we can share the love of Jesus. Sometimes through a simple act of kindness. Other times through a clear spoken word of love and encouragement. So Jesus, be enough today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.